we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name's uh, Stuart and I'm a member of the church here. I live in Guildford with my wife Jean and our two boys. And Jean and I lead the pastoral care team in the church. And we've been here about six or seven years. Today I'm going to take us through some thoughts on a passage in the Bible called the Beatitudes. Now we do have a pile of free Bibles available, uh, like this. So if you'd like to have one of these, do put your hand up now. And uh, someone in a yellow t-shirt will bring one round to you. If you don't have a copy of the Bible yourself at home, then feel free to take one home and this is yours to keep. So that's great. Um, another perk is that I'm going to be giving you the page number later, but just for this version. Okay. Um, another free book that we have available. And this was the inspiration for this series that we're teaching on at the moment, is uh, this book by Guy Miller. And it's about um, Matthew 5. We're, t- we're t- teaching through this. It's a really easy read, but quite profound as well. So I'm going to be working through some verses from this book, and if you'd like to take one with you, I think there's some at the back after the service, take one with you, uh, read it at home, we'll be studying it in our life groups, that would be great. Pick one up on your way out. Now, I was struck last week when Steve Petch was talking to us about belonging to church and um, becoming a welcoming church where people can really belong. And he had an image particularly for us. Does anyone remember what his image for us as a church was? Feel free to shout it out. Bees, yeah. Bees nest, I think, was his his words. Um, So he was encouraging us to be like bees and go out pollinating our town. And we've we've already been reminded by Barney about the the fun day and about kind of going out there and uh, being distinctive, bringing life and hope to our town. So I was amazed when I was reading Guy Miller's book this week about his chapter on mercy. Um, and it has very sort of resonant passage in that. I'm just going to read you uh, some words from, from it, actually. The season of spring is a riot of colour in the UK. Garden woods and orchards become a tapestry of colour and beauty. However, these fragrant blossoms are not merely nature's window dressing. They are an appeal for mercy. Appeal for mercy. As they open their flowers, their need comes from beyond themselves. They are unable to produce life for the future, unable to self-pollinate. So insects, bugs and butterflies and the wonderful honeybee rescue the plant. They have mercy on the plants. They come and they rescue them from barrenness and bring the promise of a certain future so I thought that was, that was quite striking how that really resonated with Steve's picture from last week. What a powerful image, isn't it? So in May, as we celebrate and admire all the spring flowers around us, um, let that be an inspiration to us to look for those in our town, in our lives, um, for whom we can offer mercy. We are to be mercy pollinators to the people around us day by day. We're going to get started on the passage now. Let me pray um, before we uh, read that. Our hearts might be opened. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the merciful one. 
Help us in the light of your great mercies to us to be mercy pollinators to those around us each day. Open our hearts and minds this morning to learn more of what it means to be merciful people. Amen. Well, as I've said, we are continuing the series from Matthew 5. So if you've got one of these Bibles, you can turn to page 659. Otherwise, you have to, do it, you have to work it out yourself. But it's kind of towards the end of the Bible, um, book of Matthew. And I'll read through the first 12 verses, but today we're just going to be looking at verse 7. Matthew 5, and we'll start at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evils against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we're just looking at verse 7 today. And it's important to understand how the first and the second half of this verse fit together. As you can see, in the middle of the verse is the word for. And it's all too easy to read that in like it means therefore. And so that would be like a causal link, the for being something like merciful people are blessed. And therefore, God will have mercy on them. But that's not what it's, that's not what it's meaning. Um, reading this in the context of the whole New Testament, we know that God's mercy to us isn't as a result of our behaviour. No, the four in the middle of this verse is a descriptive link. So God is merciful to his children and he makes them into people who are merciful to others. So that's kind of how it works. I've, I've kind of had a go at expanding this a little bit in my own words. Um, so you kind of see the NIV version and then my attempt uh, a slightly amplified version. Those who show mercy to others are well in God's eyes, for their actions demonstrate their understanding of God's mercy to them. And that's kind of really the, the message of today. The more we understand of God's mercy to us, the more merciful we will want to be to those around us. So Chris, was, so Chris has talked about in this series earlier about blessed meaning flourishing or enjoying God's favour. So I've put here that Christians who are, who are merciful had to have a status of well-being in God's eyes because their actions in their mercies speak of hearts and minds that understand and appreciate something of God's mercy to them. And that's the key message from today. We can become more merciful to others by appreciating God's great mercy to us. Okay, so we've explored a little bit of what verse 7 is saying, but mercy 
that might seem a slightly old-fashioned word today. Um, what, what is mercy? So, what is mercy? Shout out a few ideas. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Exactly, yeah. Any other description of mercy? Undeserved present. Okay, so we'll, we'll yeah, we'll kind of, um, we'll kind of come to the, the link between grace and mercy, but there's something definitely undeserved in it. Absolutely. A lifeboat, exactly. It's like a, it's like a helper for someone who is desperate and in need. Great. Okay. Well, let's um, let's just think maybe some of the sort of images that might come to mind when we think of mercy. We might think of sort of life and death situations. Something maybe that just it's mercy. Maybe that's for powerful people to offer. Um, so we've got Joaquin Phoenix here, and we're going to have a clip from this um, amazing film. I love this film. Um, in a minute. And um, we might think, oh, it's something that charities offer to like, far-off uh, countries during famines and natural disasters. Is that, is that what mercy is? Yes, but um, I want to kind of explore a bit more of what mercy is as well in our day-to-day lives. So let's have a look uh, now at a short clip from a film called Gladiator. Can you believe it's, that, was, that was made in, in the year 2000, almost 19 years old now? Well... <laughs> Time flies. Um, one of my favourite all-time movies. Now, you can see in this short clip the emperor deciding whether to show mercy to a gladiator. But um, there's actually a continuity error. Can you spot it between this image and the, from the clip? But don't, don't concentrate on that. Um, <laughs> OK. In the clip, Russell Crowe plays Maximus, and he finds himself as a gladiator fighting for life in the Colosseum in Rome. And in this scene, he's up against quite an impressive gladiator, and he defeats him against the odds. And he ends up with the power of life and death over this man. What I want you to watch out for as we watch this clip, and don't worry, I've cut out the gory bits, um, is who who shows mercy to the defeated fighter? Is it Maximus the gladiator? Is it the emperor? Or is it the crowd? Uh, Let's have a go. merciful one there Maximus did you hear someone in the crowd shouting at Maximus the merciful Um, the crowd wanted the blood the emperor decided thumbs down 
Um, so is this all that mercy is about, though? Kind of these big, dramatic life or death situations, something just offered by people in, in great positions of power. So, of course, there's times of crisis where we're called to offer help and mercy to people in desperate situations. And it's really important for us not to harden our hearts to all the wars and natural disasters that we hear about. But I want to explore, particularly in today's talk, the everyday mercies that we can offer those around us more locally on small matters that might go unnoticed by others. Let's just clarify um, the distinction between mercy and grace. Are they the same? Well, here's a, a useful distinction. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So in the film clip, the gladiator on the floor had lost the fight and therefore, according to the rules, he deserved to die. Maximus was merciful and didn't kill him. That's mercy. Um, and grace goes beyond that. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So it goes beyond letting you off the consequences of your actions and actively then grants you favour and good things that are undeserved. So we're all familiar, aren't we, with the story of the prodigal son where the son has squandered all the riches and comes back. And so the father is firstly merciful. He forgives his son for all the wrong things he's done. And then secondly, do you remember, he kills a fatted calf and they have a party. So he's gracious because he, um, he goes beyond just letting him off, but he also treats him, um, which he doesn't deserve. It's grace and mercy, related but slightly different. Okay, so we understand what mercy is, and we know we need to be more merciful, but it's not easy, is it? Um, and our culture, it's good to kind of be reminded of the influence our culture has on us. Our culture can be quite unmerciful in the values it promotes. So instead of often giving others the benefit of the doubt, we see pe people very quickly to take, taking offence. And instead of putting other people first, we often see self-interest taking priority. Instead of being quick to listen and welcoming, we can see people building walls. Instead of good manners and respectful conduct, we see more and more incivility and rudeness around us. And of course, our welfare state is a great support net for many. But in some ways, I wonder if it's let us slip into the mindset of assuming that mercy and help for the vulnerable is someone else's problem, not our problem. You know, we find ourselves almost delegating mercy to institutions. Mercy becomes something that we're forced to pay for through our taxes. But do we still, as individual people, have merciful hearts that are moved to pity and to action? So there's some of the trends. You might think of other trends as well. How much influence do these trends around us have on our hearts? God calls us to be merciful but our world often just says, well, charity begins at home. Um, okay. So these are some of the values from society that might cause us to be less merciful. But what about ourselves? What, in, what about our own hearts and minds? What are the excuses that we sometimes make ourselves for passing by on the other side? The excuses that we sometimes make for passing by on the other side. Um, any ideas? Don't have time, uh, yeah. Too busy. Too busy. Safe feels a bit yeah, feels a bit risky. Play, play it safe. Pride. Pride. 
But I'm going to stop you before you give away all my talk. Um, so, Jesus says one of the reasons um, we tend to minimise our own sins and amplify those of others. So, he said, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, but you can't see the past the log in your own eye. So, so often we have different standards for others compared to ourselves. A little example in my own life, and I fully expect my wife Jean to be nodding along to this. Sometimes I get quite irritated with my two boys when they leave their toys all over the place for people to trip over. But then in my study, I like to lay all my papers all over the floor to the extent that sometimes you can't even see the carpet. And I, make, I kind of excuse myself, you know, it's like, oh, I need to be able to see everything. I don't have time to sort it all out. You know, I'm the one earning the money. I have the right to do this. And so even in this sort of everyday example, I can be unmerciful towards others, but taking other people's mercy towards me for granted. Other barriers to being merciful. Well, firstly, we can be quick to judge. You know, the driver that fails to indicate when moving into our lane gets the angry response. You imbecile, if I was in charge, people like you would have to retake their test. You know, I can be like this. We're going to come back to merciful driving later, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, secondly, dis yeah, responding with disinterest or hard-heartedness. We can get compassion fatigue, can't we? Just zone out when the latest disaster appeal comes on the TV. We might find ourselves just going on the other side, avoiding the homeless person on the street. Resentment. Often this is with someone at home or at work when they repeatedly mess up, the people that we rub alongside every day, and we can get resentful. When we get into like a posture of resentment or bitterness, we become hardened, and it's hard then to be merciful. Fourthly, we can respond with fear. Like Kezia said, we're walking along past the person trying, crying on the park bench, perhaps, and we might just be afraid to make contact with them. I, I don't know how to help them. Or fifthly, we can respond with meanness. Helping someone financially might mean that we can't afford something for ourselves. By giving someone your time, you might miss your favourite TV show. Providing practical help might mean that you come back completely exhausted. Another cost that we might not always think of is like a social cost. Other people might judge us as being weak. Oh, you know, you're just a doormat. People take advantage of you, you know. Yeah, you've lent them some money. You'll never get that back. Let's apply these five barriers to mercy to a story that Jesus told. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now this story, as I'm sure you know, is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of course, I want you to act with mercy like the Good Samaritan. But while we're looking at what our barriers can be, let's just focus on the two people who passed by without helping. Why? Why did the priest and the Levite pass by? They were supposed to be the holy people who would act in a godly way. Well, Jesus doesn't tell us why, 
in the story. It's quite a short story. But let's take our five barriers to mercy and we can speculate about what the thoughts might have been that passed through their minds. Did they respond with judgment? That's what happens when you're not careful on this road. Did they respond with disinterest or hard-heartedness? I'm sure someone else less busy will be along soon to help him. Maybe they responded with resentment. Oh, there's so many needy people. How can I be expected to help everyone? Maybe they responded with fear. This might be a trap. Maybe the robbers will get me if I help him. Or maybe they thought the cost was too great. I don't have the time or the energy. All these needy people, they'll drain you of all you've got. Now, it's worth pointing out that the Good Samaritan might well have had these thoughts and feelings going on inside as well. We don't know. But what mattered was that he was the one who stopped and he helped them, despite perhaps having reservations. So he acted with mercy. So mercy is more than just a sympathetic feeling. The pity needs to move into action to help the other person. So you might be recognising some of these barriers that work inside you and you might be feeling a bit hopeless. I know I ought to be more merciful, but the reality is I find myself passing by on the other side all too often. Hmm. How do we become more merciful? Well, the key to accessing true mercy within ourselves is to look to what Jesus has already done. The greatest act of mercy in all of history was on the cross. We've all turned our back on God, our creator, and in turn, we deserve his rejection. But on the cross, Jesus became the rejected one, paying the price for us to be reunited with our creator. And there's nothing more to be done, nothing other than to receive this mercy from Jesus. So if you've never before received the gift of reconciliation with God, then you can. When Jesus died, there was another man dying on a cross next to him, utterly powerless to do anything to help himself. And he spoke these words to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he did. That's all he could do. Simply by saying these words wholeheartedly, he received the mercy of God. And so can you. You can trust in Jesus and what he achieved on the cross. So if you'd like to make that step today, then come down at the front at the end and speak with one of us after the service. We'd love to pray that through with you. So we look to the cross. Secondly, we, for those of us who already follow Jesus, let's consider the times when God has been merciful to us. Let's dwell upon how much mercy we've received. We've let God down. We've ignored him. We've been selfish with the money and the resources that come from him. But his mercy is so great that our sins are washed away. And the father looks on us as if we'd done nothing wrong at all because of Jesus. We should allow these things to sink deep into our hearts. So when we're inclined to be judgmental, hard-hearted, mean, resentful or fearful towards others... Let's remember the merciful embrace of God. And then thirdly, confession. That's a bit of a lost art, isn't it? The aim of confession of sin is not to shame us, but as well as helping us to turn from sin, to repent, 
The great purpose of confession is to fill our hearts anew with gratitude and wonder at God's great mercy. Let's not take his mercy for granted. Confession is a great way to remember how much God has done and how much he continues to do for us. So all this is summarised in our verse for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In the light of the cross, we are inspired to offer mercy to others as a small mark of our gratitude to the much greater mercy that we've received from God. Okay, let's apply this. So I promised that we'd look at some everyday situations where we can show mercy to others, often in small but significant ways. And I've just selected four areas of modern life. And this might be a bit of an insight into what I struggle with, where we can, we can have common sources of friction with other people. You might have different areas, but I hope these will at least get us thinking about how each of us can offer everyday mercies to other people. So let's start with that one. How did you respond last time you passed a homeless person? Did you respond with hard-heartedness or judgment? They've got themselves in a mess. There's shelters where they can get help. Now, I'm not saying that we have to stop and buy every homeless person we pass a cup of tea and hear their whole life story. But let's, in, let's check in with our hearts and see whether it's hard, judgmental, fearful, or if we're genuinely open to the other person. We don't always have time, do we? But let's, we always have time to be open-hearted. By way of example, about six weeks ago, um, I was passing through Stansted Airport late at night. Jean hasn't heard this story yet. Um, a man from Eastern Europe approached me asking for help. And he said he'd arrived on a plane, but he'd got drunk and he had his wallet taken from him. He needed money for his coach fare, but the driver had refused to let him travel without paying. I honestly didn't know how to respond, and I prayed a quick prayer for wisdom. Part of me found him genuine, and I felt for him in his situation. And part of me was suspicious. I think actually more than parting with the money to a complete stranger, my bigger concern was being duped. I didn't want to be the stupid one who got sort of tricked. And that's really just pride. Was he going to use the money, as he said? Or was it just a made-up story so that he could buy alcohol or something? I asked him some questions, and he seemed sincere and desperate. And I gave him the money he needed for the fare. And I told him that this was Jesus' provision for him. He actually got quite excited at that point and told me that he followed Jesus too. He took my phone number and he said he was going to message me when he got there. He got to London and thanked me and off he went to get his coach. And I never heard from him again. Was it just a trick? I don't know. But what I figured in that moment was that I needed to surrender the situation to God and play my part in providing help to someone in need. I actually might have felt more comfortable giving my money to charity and it's great I work for a charity do give your money to charity but um you know it, it could have been gift aided it would have been handled by reliable people um I might have felt more confident that my money would have been well used but in that situation at that airport on that night no one else was helping this man the coach driver had said no the police had told him he needed to find his own way to London 
And so he had nowhere to go and nowhere to stay. But I was there and I had the means to help him. And I think I would want Jesus to say of me, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So I'm not saying that I always give money to everyone who asks me. I think it's a wisdom call for each situation. But in this situation, I didn't want to say no to him on the basis of mere suspicion or hard-heartedness or pride. What seemed to matter before God in that situation was that I was open-hearted and willing to offer what I could to someone in need. Let's move on to the next area. Family, work, neighbours. In this sort of everyday life, we can come across people who repeatedly let us down. If you're a parent, has your child yet again embarrassed you in public? At work, has your colleague yet again cut corners and left you to sort it out? Your neighbour keeps playing their music loud when you're trying to relax at home. It's hard, isn't it, when people we know well keep not to take it personally I suppose and then resentment and bitterness can take hold inside if you find yourself overreacting to someone you know well it's probably a good indication that you've got resentment in your heart towards them now I'm not saying there isn't a place for confrontation challenging their behavior can sometimes be the best the the best and most loving thing for the other person rather than just sort of pretending that they haven't messed up But let's be watchful for resentment building in our hearts, particularly with those we have to live with and work alongside day by day. You might need to take it to God. You may need to come for prayer at the end of of this service or in your life group and ask for help in letting go of that bitterness. And perhaps you could offer that person an act of kindness, but beware of your expectations Do you expect them, do you require them to be grateful? Do you need them to be, to act more nicely, you know, behave more nicely next time? Well, if you, if those are the sort of conditions, you might be setting yourself up for further disappointment. God's mercies come to us without strings attached. So let our mercy to others be equally free. All right, I promised we'd come back to the roads. Who here is a merciful driver? What's your pet hate when driving, walking, cycling around town? Cars changing lane in front of you without indicating? Cyclists just going through red lights as if the law didn't apply to them? Pedestrians walking along, reading their phones like there's no one else on the pavement? How do you respond? Do you hoot? Do you shout something? You drive as close as you can to their bumper for the next mile? Are you mean or merciful on the roads? Yes, the other person might have been inconsiderate, selfish or rude. Yes, maybe they're in the wrong and you're in the right. But could you be the distinctively merciful road user in Guildford? Could you pause, take a deep breath and give them the benefit of the doubt? Maybe they just had a row with their boss, their spouse. Anyway... They've just given you an opportunity to be merciful. So why not pray for them? How can we make the roads a calmer and more courteous place? Is there anything about our driving that could invite others to drive better? Could we increase our braking distance, keep to the speed limits, 
let people cross the road. Maybe we set off five minutes earlier on each journey. Could we, could we sort of drive, cycle or walk with more of a spirit of generosity? I struggle with this area and I find it's helpful to pray both for mercy and grace before I set off on the road. Last but not least, social media. I think Solomon saw our day coming when he wrote these words. Do not be quick with your mouth or your fingers. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. I've observed so much offence taking, rudeness, judgmentalism and so forth on social media. I'm quite wary now of using Facebook and Twitter. I prefer to have conversations where there's likely to be difference of opinion in person or even on an old-fashioned telephone. But, um, you know, if addressing controversial matters on, online is your thing, then let me suggest a few things. Well, firstly, tone down your language. Um, careless use of words like racist or bigot just tend to sort of shut down dialogue. Don't label or categorise other people. Language. Secondly, don't make your criticisms personal. Yeah, debate the issues, but don't attack the person. Yeah, even if they voted leave, even if they voted remain, even if you don't really like them. God have mercy on us when we were at, at our most unlovely. So have mercy on others. And thirdly, ask yourself, would you phrase it like this if this person were right here in front of you? If you could see how your words impacted them, would you really put it that bluntly? Actually, we probably need to work twice as hard to put it nicely because whoever reads it won't be able to see with a smile on your face as you say it. Um, I was wondering, you know, we've all heard of internet trolls. I wonder what the opposite of an internet troll is. Any ideas? Maybe be an internet fairy. Or an internet angel, I don't know. Make the internet a better place by being nice with people who, with whom you disagree. That would be nice. That would be different, wouldn't it? So um, I'm going to invite the band to come back up now and uh, just summarise where we've got to. So we've been through four areas in modern life where it can be hard to be merciful. But they're exactly the areas where we can stand out if we want to be different from the culture around us. Now remember, the message of this preach is not try harder in your own strength to be merciful to others. We know, don't we, that that won't last. Remember that these, what we're going through in this series are be attitudes, not do attitudes. It's all about what goes on inside us. So the message of this preach is receive God's mercy more deeply into our lives and as a heart response, offer that mercy to others. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.